Happy Sabbath to you. We have 208 in attendance today. Welcome to all our guests. It's a cold, wintry day here in Charlotte, but we do have warm and loving hearts here in the congregation. Thank you, Mr. McCullough and Mrs. Ames, for that inspiring music. Here I am, Lord. And that's from Isaiah 6 and verse 8. You know the story when God called the prophet Isaiah. He said, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. So Isaiah responded to that, and I hope we all have answered God's calling and have the same dedication and willingness to serve Christ. Today is the first day of the calendar year of first Sabbath, that is, of the calendar year 2013. 2013 was a year to remember. Of course, we had a December to remember uh, with uh, Dr. Meredith uh, last uh, week and uh, two weeks ago. So very, very inspiring. We realize that 2013, 2013 is a secular calendar, but the world reviews major events and trends over the previous year. God's calendar, the first day of the sacred year, is Nisan 1, which this year is on March 12th. And we look forward to the spring festivals and the Passover, which will be on Sunday night, March 24th. So as we face the challenges of 2013, we need to go forward in faith, looking forward to the coming kingdom of God, And we look forward to the great resurrection, to be with Christ in the air, meeting him at the last trumpet. News magazines uh, summarize the major events of 2012 and even make predictions for 2013. What do you remember about 2012? Probably in your personal experience, the Feast of Tabernacles is very memorable. It was for my wife and me. We had the opportunity of spending atonement in Auckland, New Zealand, and then Victor Harbor in Australia, and then to Kauai, Hawaii. So it was very memorable. On the world scene in the United States, a president was elected, and his nomination took place right here in Charlotte in August at the DNC, the Democratic National Convention. The Mayan calendar ended December 21st, and the world continued and continues its carnal ways. The number one science story for December 21st was, according to Discover magazine, the Higgs boson, quote, a particle so fundamental that without it there would be no atoms in the universe and therefore no stars, no planets, and no one to wonder about it all. Physicists have identified the God quote, end of quote, particle, responsible for all the matter of the universe, coming closer to a theory of everything. So that's Discover magazine. That's uh, December, January 2nd, uh, 2013, on page 16. 2012 also saw the shooting tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut, at the Sandy Hook Elementary School on December 14th. When 14, uh, that was December 14th, and then 20 first graders and six teachers and administrators were killed. We thank God that they will be resurrected in the white throne judgment to a world of peace, and they will have a wonderful opportunity to fulfill their destiny. 
Well, what will happen in 2013? Are you prepared for 2013 and beyond? Or are you nervous or a little anxious about what's going to happen in 2013? Of course, Congress has finally decided to uh, supposedly solve temporarily the financial cliff, so-called, and taxes are going up. But are you in 2013 looking at the big picture, the coming kingdom of God and the great future that God has in store for you? Are you looking forward to that with faith and with boldness? Let's turn back to uh, Proverbs 28 and verse 1. It gives us a certain approach and attitude, not only for 2013, but in our daily life. Proverbs 28 and verse 1. I remember one time, I think it was the feast in Big Sandy, and I was giving announcements. I had worked for... Uh, range for an activity for singles, and I, I should probably shouldn't have said that, but uh, there were some singles who, when the deacons went around to try to corral them to attend the single event, fled. And uh, I quoted this scripture at the time, Proverbs 28, verse 1, The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. And, of course, that doesn't apply just for that event, but all times. The righteous are bold as a lion. And, of course, we need to have that boldness in the faith. That's one of the qualifications of a deacon, as it mentions in 1 Timothy 3, that they have boldness in the faith. And all of us need that boldness, that strength, that conviction. In December 1959, I was depressed. I had just gotten out of the Army, and all I could see on the horizon was nuclear war between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I heard the World Tomorrow radio program by Mr. Herbert Armstrong. He said that Jesus Christ is coming back, and that was news to me, that he's coming back to save mankind and to save planet Earth. The gospel gave me hope. And that same expectation, that same promise, that same hope is valid today as it was back in 1960, 1960 when I first heard the gospel. We still have that same goal, Matthew 6:33, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things shall be added to us. 2013 will present its challenges just as 2012 did. Will we meet those challenges in the coming year? The title for the sermon today is The 2013 Challenge. There are all kinds of challenges in the world, sports challenges, academic challenges, but we have a life challenge, of course, that's continuing. So let's first briefly review 2012 in both the world and our own lives. Then we'll look at some of the predictions and trends for 2013. We need to answer the question, How will we live our lives in 2013? What goals, what strategies and commitments will we make for 2013? And how will we meet the challenges of 2013? Time is getting short. In the history of the world, even as we heard in the sermonette, in the history of the universe, we are closer to the coming kingdom of God on earth than there has ever been a time. We anticipate that time. We yearn for that time. 
And can we say, as the Apostle John said in the next to the last verse of the Bible, Revelation 22:20, even so, come, Lord Jesus. Do we have that depth of yearning for the kingdom to come? Last evening, I asked my wife at dinner just what should be our focus for 2013 for us, for the church. She said, we need to go all out to love God, to love our neighbors, and to overcome. And of course, the sermon last week was titled, The First and Greatest Commandment. So we are focused on fulfilling that requirement, that way of loving, to love God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. So what will be your focus in 2013 and beyond? Will you be ready to meet Christ when he comes? Are you now ready to meet Christ? If you were to die tomorrow or tonight, would you feel comfortable and confident that, yes, I will be with my Master, I will be with my Savior, I will be my Lord when he comes at the resurrection? Let's turn to Matthew 25. We heard in the sermonette about a wedding. Matthew 25 The kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. I won't read all of the story, but you know that five were foolish and five were wise. And at midnight, verse 6, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And that's where we are in prophecy. That's where we are in this particular parable. We're preparing to meet the bridegroom. Notice verse 10. And while they went to buy, that is, the foolish ones went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. The wedding apparently takes very, takes, is very soon, right after uh, Christ comes. Afterward, the other virgins came also, verse 11, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. That would be horrible to have that said about us. And so the sermonette, of course, encouraged us to have that close communication with God and with Christ. Watch, therefore, verse 13, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Of course, we can know the time, the general season. We may not know the day or the hour, but that's why he tells us to watch. Watch, therefore. We need to watch spiritually, we need to watch world news and prophetic trends, and to be ready. In 2012, numerous brothers and sisters in Christ, that is, died in the faith. Let's turn back to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Hebrews 11. We're just reviewing what happened, or will review, what happened in 2012. Hebrews, the 11th chapter, verse 13. Hebrews 11:13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. And some of our brethren have died in the faith. Some of you have attended funerals 
of non-members, maybe family members this past year, and we have to look forward. We're very contemplative, meditative in times like that, and we think about when will I see my brother or my sister again. If we're to meet them in the resurrection, in the first resurrection, those who died in the faith, we need to be there. Is there anyone you'd want to meet specifically in the first resurrection? I think I've mentioned this before, but some have left the church because they felt God was unfair. That maybe my father or mother died at a young age, and therefore I can't trust God. And that person is a hypocrite, because if that father or mother is in the first resurrection... And he says, I love dad or mom, but I don't trust God. He will not be there to meet his resurrected father or mother, whom he says, I love her. Well, no, he doesn't really love her. Otherwise, he would be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ, trusting God to meet his resurrected mother or father in the first resurrection. Then there are other family members that uh, will not be in the first resurrection. You know, who would you like to meet in the white throne judgment? Of course, you, my father and mother will be there, and I look forward to seeing my father and mother. I've told you the story before, but that's the white throne, white throne judgment story, a last great day story about, you know, the Field of Dreams movie was one in which the, uh, they'll build the, build it and they will come. It was a farm in Iowa that built an old, a baseball field, and so uh, someone was to be resurrected, and he's playing uh, catch with his, his, his father, who was dead, and comes back to this field. And it just brought me to tears because that was one of the little tender times that I had with my father. Of course, he taught me chess, and we had good times together, but I just really enjoyed playing catch with my father. And when I saw that in the movie, Field of Dreams, brought me to tears. And I hope maybe I can play catch with my dad when he's resurrected in the White Throne Judgment. But what are we looking forward to? We need to, again, in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, we look forward to those who died in the faith. It tells us here in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, Verse 39, all these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. Verse 4, 40, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. So again, we look forward to the resurrection, the first resurrection, and we want to be with there to meet the saints that are there. The current uh, Living Church News, which we just uh, received in the mail uh, recently, January, February 2013 uh, does have the section on remembering in memory of, and this particular issue in loving memory is Mr. Curtis Lambright and Mr. Wayne Pyle. And you can read those, but we look forward to seeing them in the resurrection. But what will our focus be? We need to persevere. Hebrews, the 12th chapter, verse 1. And this could be and should be one of the uh, principles, motivating principles for 2013. After all these wonderful, faithful men and women mentioned in Hebrews 11, 
The author, the Apostle Paul, goes on to write in chapter 12, verse 1 of Hebrews, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which is so easily ensnares us. We are bombarded by temptations in our modern age. And let us run with endurance or perseverance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. And that's a constant daily activity. We come before God's throne in heaven, knowing that Christ, our high priest, is at the right hand of God the Father. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He's training us. And even corrects us and guides us. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy that was set before him, he had that vision in spite of the pain and the suffering. He could see ahead. In 2013, we need to have that vision. We need to see ahead when we are going through trials, when we're in pain, when we're disappointed. We need to think ahead. Our focus in 2013 needs to be on our mission, of course, as well. We've mentioned the sevenfold mission Dr. Meredith has outlined in the Living Church of uh, News several times. But I'll just uh, mention them here. You can look it up on our website. Sevenfold mission. Number one, preach the gospel of the kingdom and the true name of Jesus Christ. We're doing that with our whole heart. Number two, preach the end-time prophecies and the Ezekiel warning to the Israelitish peoples. Number three, feed the flock and build all our members to the stature of Jesus Christ as best we can. In 2013, we're continuing to be conformed to the image of Christ, as it tells us in Romans 8, verse 29, to his nature, to his mind, to his character. We're growing Number four, be examples to the church of God and to the world of Christ's way of life. So we live the way of give. Five, learn and practice servant leadership in all its dealings with others. God has called us to be bond servants. It's more blessed to give than to receive. It's a whole way of life, of serving, of caring, of helping. Number six, restore original. We had uh, the... Sevenfold mission was restore apostolic Christianity. Now it's restore original Christianity and all that this implies. The whole way of life that Jesus and the apostles taught and lived. Number seven, build an atmosphere of radiant faith within God's church. And we're beginning to do that more and more. We have more enthusiasm, more confidence, more boldness in the faith in God's church. Well, that's a sevenfold mission. It should be part of our focus for 2013. Just to review a little bit of 2012 in the world, we already mentioned, of course, that the world did not end December 21st, as many pundits uh, and uh, some uh, creative movie uh, producers uh, designed. In the USA weekend, December 7th through 9th, 2012, of course, it was uh, playing on the end of the Mayan calendar. Quote, the end of the world is not near. An article by Dan Vergano said, what? Me worry? Scientists explain why the world will not arrive, will not end in 2012. Then it had a photo of an asteroid heading towards the Earth and said, asteroid collision 
but not this year. In other words, they're presuming there will be an asteroid collision, but collision, but I don't need to worry about it now. He goes on in the article. So why should we worry about, what should we worry about for 2012? This is before the end of the year. This year we've already survived a drought that affected 80% of the United States farmland. Blackouts in India that left 620 million without electricity. And a superstorm named Sandy, which flooded New York City and much of the East Coast, all things nobody predicted. He concludes the article, what I worry about is people not asking for real evidence when they hear one of these crazy theories that that's the first thing you should do. But there are good memories of 2012. There was the London Olympics and, of course, uh, science. We already mentioned some discoveries that took place, the tragedy of the Newtown, Connecticut shooting, the DNC meeting here in Charlotte, the end of the Mayan calendar, but what does Bible prophecy say? First Timothy, Second Timothy, the third chapter. You're familiar with that scripture. Second Timothy, the third chapter, verse one. But know this: that in the last days perilous times will come. Oh, some of the magazines have cataloged the various shootings that have taken place and. Uh, there are many that have not been publicized as much. There have been shootings in, in churches, shootings in college classes this year, in, to, uh, well, 2012, and throughout the past uh, a decade. And even when we had our own church tragedy back in 2007, March 2005, March 12th, 2005. And we remember that, and we will remember it this coming March 12th. But there are other Brookfield shootings uh, just even uh, last year uh, that uh, were in a mall. So there are the dangerous times that the Apostle Paul predicts. Know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. And that's idolatry. Boasters, yes, vanity of vanities. Proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. A younger generation that has not learned the Ten Commandments. Unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal despisers of good. And I said without self-control. I was just listening to um, an audio tape by Mr. John O'Gwyn. It was on, was Darwin wrong? And uh, he was just talking about, well... Evolution says that uh, all we are are apes with trousers. You know, if, if we're, we're animals, then we should act like animals, is, you know, the evolutionary theory. I had a good couple laughs at this uh, powerful uh, message. Without self-control. If you're animals, you're not going to have self-control. That is, with moral self-control. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God having a form of godliness, but denying its power. And from such people, turn away. There are too many events, major events in 2012 to enumerate, but I'll just mention a couple of additional ones. Israel was bombarded by hundreds of rockets fired from Gaza, actually towards Tel Aviv. And... Uh, 
At least, however, Israel had the Iron Dome anti-missile system, which knocked down nearly 90% of them. And I got a message, of course, uh, on the uh, newsletter list from the Minister of Tourism of Israel saying they had 100,000 tourists in Israel. Not to worry. They're all perfectly safe. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, the feast in 2013 in Israel. Um, and I think we're having uh, about, what, 150 or 200? 180? 180 that will be going to Israel for the feast. So that's exciting. But we look at the dangers in the world to today's Tomorrow's World web commentary. Some of you are subscribers. I hope all of you would be subscribers to Tomorrow's World commentary. And it's titled, The Mean Streets of Cairo, A Look Back, that show what's happening in the Muslim world and how the uh, king of the south is starting to, ra- to rise, or the potential for it is. March 2nd, 2012. Deadly tornadoes ravaged the Midwest and the South of the United States. In all year, estimates have been that 50,000 have been killed in the Syrian war, and it continues on. April 2nd, a gunman opens fires at Oikos University in Oakland, California, killing seven people and injuring three. April 8th, the suicide bomber kills himself and 38 people in Nigeria, and some of these were attacking Christian churches. July 1st, attackers kill at least 17 in Kenyan churches. October 29th, Hurricane Sandy causes devastation to northeast United States. November 6th, President Obama was reelected. Maine, Maryland, and Washington approve same-sex marriages. Minnesota, however, also rejected an amendment defining marriage as between a man and a woman. Some of you may have seen the uh, televised DNC, the Democratic National Convention, here in Charlotte. And uh, there were two, two points. They had left out of their political platform a reference to God. And so this one pastor um, made a motion that the name of God be put back into the platform. And uh, so they took a voice vote and... Uh, some of them were actually booing to put God back in the platform. And there was another major uh, point of the platform, and that was that Jerusalem would be called Israel's undivided capital. And there were some uh, Arab uh, Democrats in the audience, and the camera focused on them. And, and of course, uh, the voice vote did not approve, as it appeared, either of them when I was listening. But, the, uh, of course, the master of ceremonies or the chairman overruled it and said, oh, yes, we'll, we'll pass those. But why would you even have to even bring up a, a vote to put God back into your political platform? I mentioned before in 2012 that the number one science discovery was the discovery of the Higgs boson, as it was called. But this is uh, interesting, if you want to see it, the 100 top science stories of 2012. Just mention a couple others. Number 98 was groundwater running on empty. In many of the places where the footprint is larger than the aquifer, that is the the use of it, we are unsustainably mining groundwater. In India... Pakistan, Saudi Arabia, Iran, Mexico, and the United States 
countries are overtaxing their groundwater supplies the most. And then number 100 uh, is called sunburn, just a dramatic uh, picture of a solar flare that uh, on August 31st, the sun expelled a cloud of 100,000 degree Fahrenheit plasma at more than 900 miles per second. The filament, as they call it, measured about 30 Earths across when this image was taken. Get ready for many such more spectacular images. This year marks the peak of the sun's 11-year cycle of activity, which means an increased risk of damage to satellites, but also a high chance of brilliant aurora displays. Let me turn to Revelation 16 and verse 8. And while we didn't feel the heat necessarily, Revelation 16 says, yes, there is heat coming. Revelation 16, 8, this is the fourth of the uh, last seven last plagues. Revelation 16 and verse 8. Then the fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and power was given to him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat, and they blasphemed the name of God, who has power over these plagues, and they did not repent and give him glory. And again, verse 11, they did not repent of their deeds. I told you the story before that one time when I was uh, getting into my, my little, I had an Opal Manta, which is a small car, and I had the window rolled down a little bit, and I was in a rush, too much of a hurry, to get into the car, and I scraped my ear on that window pane with excruciating pain, and I just yelled. No one else was around. I was just coming from the tennis court in Big Sandy into my car, and I screamed and yelled, and I said, Father, forgive me. I'm sorry. And the pain immediately went away. We take responsibility for our actions. Here, I was in pain, uh, and I asked God for forgiveness. These people are going to be in pain, and they will not repent. They have a hardened heart. Make sure we don't let our hearts ever get that hardened. We talked to number 98. He mentioned I should have referred you to Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. I'll just read it to you about the groundwater failing, that we're using three and a half times the amount of water that's available in the aquifers. Deuteronomy 28:23 says, And your heavens which are over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you shall be iron. The Lord, the Eternal, will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. So that's Deuteronomy 28, verse 23. So, you turn to Matthew, the 24th chapter, Matthew 24. So, 2012 continued on the path of fulfilled prophecy. Increasing violence, natural disasters, declining morality. Matthew 24 and verse 7. So, we know those trends will continue in 2013. Verse 7. And you will hear... Well, verse 6, and you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these must come to pass, but the end is not yet. 
As long as we see these going on, we know that we're coming to the end of the age. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines, pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of sorrows. He says in verse 12, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. You don't we want to become hardened to and inured because you're exposed to all the troubles. You see violent movies, and so you're hardened to it. You're not sense, you're desensitized, that is. And so many of our people who become addicted to violent movies and this type of thing become desensitized. And it takes something like Newtown, Connecticut to shake up people and realize, well, maybe there's a problem with our culture. Maybe we're not teaching the Ten Commandments like we should. And certainly that's one of the basic problems of our whole society. I'll comment on that a little later. Lawlessness will abound. The love of many will grow cold. We cannot let our love grow cold. And we heard more about that in the sermon last week. But he who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. So we realize that, yes, those trends continued in 2012 will continue on into 2013. Two Sabbaths ago, we had the Sabbath celebration here in Charlotte with 551 in attendance. Dr. Meredith gave the sermon, Who We Are and where we are going. He exhorted us to be on fire for God's work. He gave us encouraging news of the growth in God's work. We celebrated the 20th anniversary of Global Living Church of God, and in a sense we're celebrating Mr. Meredith, Dr. Meredith's revival of the work beginning in December 1992. We also celebrated the 60th anniversary of Dr. Meredith's ordination as an evangelist on December 20th, 2012. We've turned back to Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40. The church gave him a crystal eagle and with a bevel glass with the inscription engraved on it of Isaiah 40, verse 31. So let's read that, Isaiah 40, verse 31. But those who wait on the Lord, the Eternal, shall renew their strength. And we want him to continue to renew his strength, and all of us as well. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Mr. Herbert Armstrong used to quote that scripture and say, Well, brethren, you want to know where I get my energy from? And he would quote the scripture in Isaiah 40. We need to continue to renew our strength as we look to God, and he will renew us. And I pray for that renewal regularly. Dr. Meredith gave us some of the news of the growth of the church in 19, 2012. I'll just review some of that here today and as we observe the first Sabbath in 2013. In 2012... Since the inception of the Living Church of God and Global Church of God in January 1999, 3,720 brethren have been baptized. 9,701 kept the feast in 2012. 
22 million households have viewed Tomorrow's World television program. And 23 million literature items have been mailed free of charge, including more than 17 million copies of Tomorrow's World magazine. Then we just got noticed because of our Tomorrow's World telecast in Hong Kong that we've had our first baptism in Hong Kong. This is from Mr. Weston. He says, we've been in touch with a young woman since April, and she's been very teachable and tenacious about hanging on to the truth. And she wrote a very warm letter thanking Mr. Tyler and Mr. Tanner, who were there in Hong Kong, to baptize her. So we've had our first baptism in Hong Kong. Well, that's very, very encouraging. We've also this uh, latest print run for Tomorrow's World magazine was over 400,000. So that was very encouraging news as well. Our Internet uh, unique visitor traffic has increased 41.6% over last year in our Tomorrow's World web and social network sites. In 2012, we had 186 Tomorrow's World special presentations. Of course, most of them were in the United States, Canada, and the United Kingdom. But there are many other nations as well. We had 4,400 visitors that heard, that heard the gospel preached by God's ministers. You might turn to Mark 16 and verse 15. Mark 16, 15. That is our mission as well. Keep the mission in mind. Mark 16 and verse 15. And he said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And so we're striving to do that. We're making improvements in the uh, Spanish outreach, the French outreach with the more publications and uh, more booklets being printed. So we're very thankful for that. Of the 186 uh, Tomorrow's World Special presentations, uh, ministers also spoke in these countries. And this is encouraging when you think about praying for our brethren around the world. We had special presentations in Sri Lanka, Kenya, Nigeria, Uganda, Ethiopia, the Dominican Republic, Jamaica, Barbados, Trinidad, Haiti, Guadeloupe, France, the Philippines, Malaysia, Australia, and New Zealand. So the gospel is going out into the world, and Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To think that we had uh, special presentations in Uganda and Ethiopia for the first time. We're very thankful for that. So we've given a brief review of the world and what God has done in his work in 2012. What are you expecting to do in 2013? What did you learn from your experience in 2012? I finally got my new week at a glance. I told you I'd lost my other one, but God helped me to find it by persevering in prayer. And so I've now started my new 2013 week at a glance. And I normally put in there lessons learned. And so I've written in my first lesson, 2013-1, review 2012 lessons. So that's my first lesson for 2013. And I hope that you learn lessons. Dr. Meredith, of course, has said from his stroke that he wanted to learn every lesson that he could learn 
and being very teachable. We have to be teachable. We need to learn from our mistakes and not just keep repeating those mistakes over and over again, but to grow from them. What are some of the predictions for 2013? The Kiplinger letter, which forecasts management decision-making, says, as you get ready for the new year to roll in, a sneak preview of 2013's top forecast. This is Washington, December 28, 2012. Number one, the MVP for the economy, housing, a return to pre-boom numbers by year end. It's predicting. I'll go over these kind of quickly and not go into the depth. You're welcome to take a look at this afterwards if you wish. Two, your taxes are going up next year even if a dive off the fiscal cliff is avoided. Three, U.S. oil production will hit a 20-year high, over 7 million barrels a day. Four, a ban on assault weapons and other guns. It's not in the cards next year. The fight over guns is much cultural, as much cultural and geographic as it is political, urban versus rural, coastal states versus middle America, liberal versus conservative. I won't go into that but uh, further. Congress is preparing a welcome mat of all sorts for illegal immigrants. Need a personal assistant? Next generation smartphones will do the job. Sensors and apps will track everything from your location to your blood pressure, even mapping out alternative routes if your stress level starts rising in traffic jams. Eight with new leaders, China is edging toward a consumer-oriented economy. 2013, is 2013 the year Israel launches airstrikes against Iran? It's a good bet. Israel, Uncle Sam, though urging more talks, is poised to send Israel more bunker-busting bombs. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu is willing to fight alone, but won't have to. At the very least, he'll get radar and logistical help from the Obama administration. I won't go on with all of these, but uh, a divided Supreme Court will come out in favor of gay marriage. It shouldn't, number 12, it shouldn't come as a surprise if uh, House Speaker John Boehner is ousted, although he's just been uh, reelected. 13, 2016 presidential uh, picture will start coming into focus by year's end. So we can understand what's happening in the world, and we know that the European Union will find its problems and have come to a place where it will demand to have a strong leader in the future. The United Kingdom has uh, opted out of the European Union, and uh, that was caused quite a uh, stir in the news last year. One of the major developments in uh, science is robotics, and this is from the Kiplinger letter, December 28th as well. About 1.4 million industrial robots are already deployed worldwide, and shipments are growing rapidly. In 2012, manufacturers designed and shipped about 180,000 industrial robots, roughly 50% more than 2010. By 2015, annual sales will top 207,000. They're used in automaking nations. Uh, have 1,260 robots for every 10,000 employees. Uh, by 2015, sales to North America will grow about 11%, to China 35%. Uh, 
Uh, South Korea and Japan remain the leaders in robot density. Leaps in artificial intelligence, giving robots increased capability to act independently. Nanotechnology developments, and this is something we learned some time ago, which can be used for evil as well as good, but robots small enough to navigate inside the human body and perform extremely precise drilling and machining tasks inside your body. Uh, Teachable robots, uh, robots that will pack products and stock shelves, and food and beverage makers, meat processors, automated automated farm workers. Down the road, uh, telepresent robots will lead tours, explore uh, remote sites, inspect equipment, check uh, classwork. And also, they'll be used as decoy soldiers. So you don't put a live soldier, you use a a robot going into it. Then you'll have household helpers that will vacuum, mock. The women, of course, are looking forward to the iRobot devices that vacuum, mop the floor, clean the pool, and others that mow the lawn without complaining. South Korea's Windoro, a window-washing bot now in use for commercial buildings, will likely get a home-sized sibling. Bots eventually will even fold the family laundry. So you'll have personal assistance. Bots will lift paralytics and assist in tasks such as dressing and eating. So, again, we are in a time where knowledge just keeps to increasing. You turn to Daniel, the 11th chapter. Daniel 11, you're familiar with that one. But, yes, just knowledge just explodes and multiplies. Daniel 11 and, sorry, Daniel 12 and verse 4. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so airplanes, uh, if any of uh, Nebuchadnezzar or any of the Babylonians be resurrected and see what is taking place, the incredible amount of air traffic continues with very little um, danger. That is, uh, airplane crashes this past year. We're very thankful about that. But uh, Mars has the rover Curiosity that is going to be driving up towards a mountain in mid-February to t- climb towards an ancient crater at a cost of $2.5 Genesis 11 and verse 5, we know as knowledge increases that man can devise most any weird thing, odd thing, dangerous thing, and he will accomplish it. Genesis 11 and verse 5, But the Eternal came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Eternal said, Indeed, the people are one, and they all have one language, and this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. And so God scattered the language and allowed humankind to continue without destroying himself before now. But we are also facing a moral meltdown. This is uh, the latest Tomorrow's World magazine, January, February issue. I hope you've all... How many of you received your issue? Can I see your hands? Okay, most of you have received it. The Mysterious Mark of the Beast by Mr. Rod McNair. Huge Rebellion Just Ahead by Dr. Meredith. And then A Crumbling Foundation, O Canada, uh, written by Mr. James Ginn, showing that the Canadian family is 
deteriorating, that marriages are down. And, uh, of course, the uh, legalization of same-sex marriages, the mysterious mark of the beast, and then uh, moral meltdown devastates BBC, London Calling. So I hope you'll read through Tomorrow's World magazine. The next one is Pray About It, Famines and Food Shortages Ahead by Dr. O'Neill, and Prophecy Comes Alive, Tomorrow's Youth, Consequences Rendered, Watch and Warn, Do You Believe the Lie by uh, Mr. Seselka. So be sure you're reading that magazine as it's showing you what is coming ahead in 2013. We already read that uh, we're living in perilous times but human beings' knowledge will continue to increase and becomes almost information overload, although some tests have shown, well, it's not. If, if you just have access to the Internet, uh, that's not just overload. That can be energizing because you have access to it. Uh, however, some, of course, get addicted to social networking which is, and media, which is something else again. Turn back to 2 Timothy, the third chapter. 2 Timothy, the third chapter. We already read that perilous times will come in verses 1 through 5. In verse 12, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We've been warned about that. Can we take it? Do we have the courage to stand tall and not compromise? But you must continue in the things which you've learned and be assured of knowing from whom you have learned them, from God's faithful ministers. And that from childhood you have known the scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So yes, we need to in 2013 continue to make sure that we are on the track. We're not compromising. We're not giving in to temptation. We've already mentioned it, but one of the trends, of course, is the approval of same-sex marriage. Kiplinger predicts that the Supreme Court will approve it. This is from the Charlotte Observer, uh, December 8, 2012. Supreme Court agrees to hear two cases on same-sex marriage. But what I want to point out here is the trend in people's morality over the past four years. Support for same-sex marriage on the rise. Support for the same-sex marriage among the public has been growing, but the country remains divided. In a Pew poll conducted in October, 49% of respondents said they favored same-sex marriage, and 40% were opposed. Four years earlier, in August 2008, the numbers were just about reversed, 39% in favor and 52% opposed. And so we've gone from opposing an abomination in our society to approving it. Forty-nine percent now approve, forty are opposed. A strong majority of younger Americans now support same-sex marriage. In a Gallup poll conducted last month, 73 percent of people between 18 and 29 years of age said they favored it. Seventy-three percent between 18 and 29 approve what God calls an abomination, while only 39% of people older than 65 approved it. You know, Mr. Armstrong 
told in his autobiography about the thermometer on the wall. This chapter 12, Depression Strikes. I'll just read this section from his autobiography. It's telling because we have come in our society from a society that was moral to becoming increasingly immoral. Mr. Armstrong writes, At this time, Roger Babson once again was the guest speaker in the Morrison Hotel Cameo Room Association of Commerce Luncheon. Well, gentlemen, he said, you remember that a year ago I warned you that within one year we would be on the throes of the worst depression one generation, our generation, has ever seen. I noticed many of you smiling unbelievingly then. Well, that year has rolled around, and here I am again, and here is the depression with me. He had accurately predicted that great depression. Chicago business leaders were not smiling now. Mr. Babson then proceeded to explain why he knew what was coming and business executives did not. It is now midwinter, he said. If I want to know what the temperature is now in this room, I go to the wall and look at the thermometer. If I want to know what it has been up to now and the existing trend as of the moment, I look at a recording thermometer. But if I want to know what the temperature in this room is going to be an hour from now, I go to the source which determines future temperatures. I go down to the boiler room. Of course, this is an old-style heating system. I go down to the boiler room and see what is happening down there. You gentlemen looked at bank clearings, indexes of business activity, stock car loadings, stock market quotations. You looked at the thermometers on the wall. I looked at the way... People as a whole were dealing with one another. I look to the source, which determines future conditions. I have found that that source may be defined in terms of righteousness. When 51% or more of the, of the whole people are reasonably righteous in their dealings with one another, we are heading into increasing prosperity. When 51% of the people become unrighteous in their business dealings with their fellows, then we are headed for bad times economically. Mr. Armstrong writes, I have never forgotten Mr. Babson's explanation. I hope my readers today may remember and profit by it too. I paid with the loss of my business to learn the lesson. Every one of my big space advertisers in the tractor and similar industries went into economic failure in that flash depression of late 1929. It wiped out my business and source of income literally. I was not a quitter. I had learned now not to give up. But I had not learned that a dead horse is dead. For two years, I stayed on in Chicago, vainly attempting to revive a dead business. That's the thermometers on the wall. Mr. Armstrong's autobiography, volume one, page 236. So Mr. Armstrong learned a lesson from Mr. Babson. That when people are righteous, God is going to bless them. But when they become increasingly Unrighteous, Mr. Babson could predict a depression. We have several sermons on that topic. America's Moral Meltdown, number 262. Well, that was a telecast, sorry. America's Moral Meltdown and Modern Morality and the Ten Commandments. And, of course, uh, those are available on our website. Dr. Meredith has attacked and cried aloud at the abominations that are taking place in the December 11, 2012 co-worker letter. 
He writes, before more millions of young people are drawn into various perverted lifestyles and have their consciences hardened, before additional millions of unborn babies are murdered in our modern version of the pagan sacrificial rite of abortion, before the coming great rebellion predicted in 2 Thessalonians 2 completely prevails, God will intervene. He concludes the letter by saying, May God help us all to go forward with zeal in doing our part in the greatest activity on earth today, directly preparing for the return of the King of Kings. We are facing dangers, but we can face the challenge of 2013 with confidence and with faith. Samuel Adams, in a letter to James Warren, 1779, and this is from the Patriot Post, January 1st, 2013, Samuel Adams wrote, quote, A general dissolution of principles and manners will more surely overthrow the liberties of America than the whole force of the common enemy. While the people are virtuous, they cannot be subdued. But when once they lose their virtue, they will be ready to surrender their liberties to the first external or internal invader. So we're facing dangers in 2013. January 22nd, we'll hold the Israeli elections. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu could be elected for his third term. Will he take steps to halt Iran's nuclear weapons development? January 22nd, 2013, and also is the 50th anniversary of France and Germany's Friendship Treaty. Will we face this danger on February 15th, 2013? Asteroid 2012DA14, Wall Street Journal, January 2nd. Close shave asteroid 2012DA14 will pass very close to Earth, much, much closer than the moon on February 15th. Its path won't lead to a collision with Earth, but it will pass close to a ring that orbiting to a ring orbiting communication satellites. It's called the Clark Belt, which is 22,200 miles directly above Earth's equator. The moon is about 239,000 miles from the Earth. So they're expecting, will that actually affect your cell phones? And those of you who depend on um, cell phone communication and GPS, will you be able to find your way? Uh, that is, if this affects uh, that system. Let's turn to Revelation, the 16th chapter. Revelation 16, again, um, people are desensitized because of all these uh, disaster movies and the movie Asteroid, and, and yet uh, here's an asteroid that's going to affect the uh, commu- communications or satellite belt, possibly, on February 15th. Revelation 16, uh, verse 17. Then the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and a loud voice came out of the temple of heaven saying, from the throne, saying, It is done. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings, and there was a great earthquake, such a mighty and great earthquake as had not occurred since men were on the earth. And, of course, it goes on to say the great city is divided, Every island fled away, verse 21, and great hail from heaven fell upon earth, upon men, each hailstone about the weight of a talent. Some commentaries say about 130 pounds. Men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail 
since that plague was exceedingly great. So asteroids may be a danger, but this case uh, called great hail from heaven. Some other predictions for 2013. March 1st, analysts predict that the United States will quickly hit its next debt ceiling and will have to face another so-called fiscal cliff less than two months from now. May 10th begins a solar eclipse in Australia. June 13, Iran holds presidential elections to pick a successor to Mahmoud Ahmadinejad. In June, China plans to launch a manned space mission. December 5th, King Bhumipan in Thailand is the world's longest reigning monarch, 62 years on the throne. December 5th, 2013, he will turn 86. So how can you face 2013, and what should be your strategies? Turn to Second Peter the third chapter, Second Peter 3, you know this scripture by heart. In fact, uh, it's uh, probably one of the uh, scripture cards that we had on the weekend, anniversary weekend. In fact, we do have some remaining cards, and we'll try to have some of them for you next week. If you did not get a set of the scripture memory cards, we'll have some available for you next week. How many of you... Uh, would like to have a set that did not get one. Can I see your hands? Okay. All right. Oh, okay. That's only 23 and a half. We'll be, uh, take those cards. We should have enough to cover those next week. But uh, some of you told me you've already memorized 60% of the 121 uh, cards, so very good. Uh, keep that up. But what can you do? You should plan ahead. I have a monthly calendar. We have a corporate calendar, which is... 2013, it shows all the, the holy days and the um, secular holidays to plan ahead. So I hope you're doing that. But Second Peter 3, verse 18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and forever. We can't remain static. We need to continue to grow and plan ahead. So one of the strategies, and I'll number these briefly in the little time we have left, number one is plan ahead for 2013. Plan the annual festivals, the Feast of Tabernacles. We've heard announced we have ten sites in the United States for 2013. Some of you will be going to Israel. Number two, in planning for 2013 and facing the challenge of 2013, learn the lessons from 2012. And as I already mentioned, I've written down my lessons, but turn back to Daniel, the fifth chapter. Daniel, the fifth chapter. And how hard-headed are we? Are we teachable? Do we learn from our mistakes? You know, there. I remember a case back in, what was it, uh, Long Beach, California. A woman had been healed two times of life-threatening disease and then later forgot and left and apostatized after God had healed her twice. She didn't learn the lessons. Daniel, the fifth chapter, Belshazzar didn't learn the lesson either. Do we learn the lessons? Does God have to keep 
correcting us and correcting us. You're just so hard-headed, you can't learn anything. Or are we teachable? Daniel, the fifth chapter, verse 17. Daniel 5, 17. Daniel answered and said before the king, he was going to again interpret the handwriting on the wall. Let your gifts be to yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known the interpretation. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, or ancestor, verse 18, Daniel 5, a kingdom, majesty, glory, and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, languages, trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, yes, hardened, we don't want any hardened hearts here, he was deposed from his kingly throne, and they took his glory from him. Then he was driven from the sons of men. Skipping down, they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he learned a lesson, till he knew that the Most High God rules in the kingdom of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. And the key verse here in learning lessons, verse 22, But you, his son or descendant, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, although you knew all this. Have we learned the lessons of history in our own life? We certainly have not learned the lessons nationally in the United States. And you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. Of course, they took the vessels from the temple and were profaning them. And he told them that his kingdom was numbered. And that very night, verse 30, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was slain. The handwriting was on the wall. And, of course, we've had an article in Tomorrow's World magazine featuring that, a lesson from the past. Dr. Douglas Winnale wrote that was uh, Tomorrow's World magazine, and he wrote this. While critics dismiss these accounts, that is, the fall of Babylon, as irrelevant to the nations of the 21st century, more astute thinkers offer a different perspective. The Spanish philosopher George Santayana once said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. In other words, if we fail to learn the lessons of history, we are bound to repeat the mistakes of history. Social critic Os Guinness put it this way, quote, a generation that fails to read the signs of the times may be forced to read the writing on the wall. End of quote, and that's from the American Hour, page 414. Dr. Douglas O'Neill continues, writing five centuries after the fall of Babylon, the Apostle Paul said these events were important because all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. The Bible clearly reveals that these events were recorded to teach us lessons so we can avoid making the same mistakes if we have eyes to see. We have uh, sermon lessons, uh, sermon lessons, uh, number 418, learning lessons, number 548, prophecy, history, learning the lessons, and number 677, lessons from America's apostasy. What have you learned personally in 2012 that you can apply for your spiritual growth in 2013. Turn to 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, 2 Corinthians 12. 
The Apostle Paul went through quite a few trials, but he didn't give up. He persevered. Remember the scripture he read earlier in Hebrews 12, that we had to run the race with perseverance, with patience, with endurance. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of revelations. A thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. He had been given visions and blessings from God. Concerning this, verse 8, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, the Apostle Paul says, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And so, again, we have to learn from our own experiences just how are we going to handle the pain, the suffering, the illnesses that may come upon us or our family, other challenges that we might meet. We have to confess our sins. And I appreciated the uh, story by Mr. Cologne that uh, the woman told him he needed to be confessing in church. But uh, 1 John, the first chapter, tells us that we confess our sins to God. 1 John 1, and if we're going to be growing in the grace and knowledge of Christ in 2013, we need to confess our sins. 1 John 1, verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to confess our sins. We need to set goals for 2013. I've only gotten to uh, about the first half of my sermon, so we'll have to do a part two. But we need to watch prophetic trends. We need to exercise vision. We need to respond to Jesus Christ. And that is we're responding to the coworker letter. We're watching the Tomorrow's World telecast. Are you applying the fundamentals of godly growth? For 2013, we should never stop learning, as he told us in 2 Peter 3.18, to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. We can volunteer. We can serve. We need to pray that we can fulfill our mission. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. And certainly, as God's work goes forward in 2013, we'll need to be praying for Dr. Meredith's special video presentation the web presentation on February, 2nd, February 10th, 3.30 Eastern Time. First Peter, First Corinthians 15, verse 57. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, we expect victories in 2013. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. So we labor throughout 2013. We're bold as a lion, as it says in Proverbs 28.1. The wicked flee when no one pursues, but the righteous are bold as a lion. Let's turn finally to John, the 15th chapter. John 15. Brethren, we can meet the challenges of 2013. We experienced tragedies in 2012. We experienced successes and achievements. And we look forward to growing and overcoming. 
John, the 15th chapter. Christ is the vine, and we are the branches. And he says, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken unto you. In verse 3, abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. We need to be close to God the Father, close to Jesus Christ in the coming months and coming years. And our goal should be that we are glorifying God, our Father, and our Savior Christ in all that we do and think and say. So it says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Brethren, we can meet the challenges of 2013. So remember the scripture, Philippians 4.13. The apostle Paul had gone through many trials and tests, but he came out glorious in the resurrection, or will come out glorious in the resurrection. He was faithful. He persevered to the end. Just remember Philippians 4.13. You're not alone. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. May God bless you all in the coming months and years.